Can we just give it up for our awesome worship team and our tech people? Oh. Talk about ushering us to the feet of the cross. What a great start to our morning. Well, I want to start by asking you if you would be willing to do some introspective questioning. I don't know if that's the right way. I want you to ask yourself, what is it that you believe this Lent season? Why are we here? Why are we here remembering what Jesus did for us on that cross some 2,000 years ago? Did he come to earth to die so that we could have a Sunday morning habit? Or did he come so that we could have this life, this life that we can live to the fullest and live in freedom and in relationship with him? So what is it that you believe I don't know about you, but I feel like a a Lenten amateur. Like the way I grew up at Maranatha Christian Reformed Church in Holland, Michigan, with the ski slope church roof that I tried to climb unsuccessfully um, and got in trouble for. Um, I didn't grow up thinking about Lent. I never put ashes on my head. Um, I asked somebody who grew up in the Assemblies of God, They didn't really do anything. I asked some people here who went to third in the 80s and the 90s, and it wasn't really a big deal. So I feel like this is a new thing for me. I feel like I'm growing in this, and I am blessed that I have this moment, this pause, these 40 days to remember what Jesus did for me. And I am metaphorically walking, taking these steps with him to the cross and I want to encourage you because I think in the past, I have, I have treated Lent like I've treated a lot of my spiritual journey very legalistically. There's a way to do it and there's a way not to do it. And if you do it the wrong way, you might as well just give up and pack up and head home. So for example, a couple years ago, uh, uh, for those of you who have been along with my journey through deleting social media and, you know, it's been a fight over whether I should keep it or not for all these years. Well, at the beginning of that journey, when I was like, I'm going to try to just get rid of it off my phone during Lent. Well, that lasted three days. And then I said, well, I guess I'm going to have to wait till next Lent because I messed up. Um, What I love about what Tom shared with us uh, last week, um, Joe, you want to throw up that um, slide 17? It's all the way at the back. Sorry. The question that Tom asked, what distractions will I reduce or remove? That that hit me between the eyes because that reminded me that unless I removed it, I felt like I wasn't doing it right. But we're in process. Like I hope that the Brett that's up here now is not the Brett that you see in five years, is not the Brett you see in 10 years. I hope the husband that I am, I hope the father that I am, I I, I hope I'm doing this. I hope we all are. So can I just encourage you, if you feel like me, that Lent is all about rules and what am I going to cut out and what am I going to get rid of to make space for Jesus? Oh, I messed up. Like, give yourself some grace. Keep pushing. Keep pushing into what it is that God has for you. So that's my encouragement for you. Joey, can we go to, uh, um, yeah, go back to the Lent Amateur slide. So just think about it for yourself. It's my buddy Ellie over there. You'd say amen and hallelujah, all service girl. Do it up. 
<laughs> perfect time. Come on now. That was perfect timing. All right, so I want to I wanna read our passage. And then if you're a note taker, I heard you. I, I hear that I'm bad with slides, so I made a lot of slides today. So if you've got a pen and paper, this is going to be your day, all right? So first, let's jump into our passage. Would you read with me Matthew 26, 36 to 46? And while you're flipping there, I love the sound of pages turning. Here's a little piece of trivia that I'm going to show you that you can um, use on someone else someday. There is no Garden of Gethsemane. Yeah, I know. I didn't believe it either. There is no Garden of Gethsemane. There is a garden, there is the Mount of Olives, and there is a Gethsemane, but nowhere in the Bible does it say the Garden of Gethsemane. So in Luke 22, actually, Joey, sorry, I'm going too fast. In Luke 22, it says that they went to the Mount of Olives. In John 18, it says that they went to a cultivated plot or a garden. And we're going to read Matthew and Mark's account, and both of them say they were in a Gethsemane. What is a Gethsemane? You ready to go Bible nerd uh, Hebrew translation? So a gat is a press, and a shemanim is oils. So it's an oil press. A Gethsemane is an oil press. So one, one person that I was, I was following and reading their stuff said, it is, it is probable that Jesus, uh, that someone came up to him and said, Rabbi, it's the Passover, there's, there's hundreds of thousands of people here. I have a Gethsemane that you and your disciples can stay in. Please, stay at my Gethsemane. And if you do any Google imaging searches, it's crazy. It's like a cave down in the, it's not like, you know, like a factory where everything is on the ground and up. I mean, it's down, there's cisterns and... So they were staying in a Gethsemane, and if you read the other two um, examples, uh, the other two gospel accounts of this story, it says they were in a garden. So there is no garden of Gethsemane. There's a garden. There's a Gethsemane. Maybe the garden was on the same plot of land, but there's no garden of Gethsemane. Boom, nailed it. Let's move on. All right, verse 36. Read with me, please. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. As we know, that means oil press. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John. Also, side note, their nickname is the Sons of Thunder. We all need to work on our nicknames because that's the top tier that we're trying to achieve. The sons, of, the sons of Thunder. He asked him to go along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. If you're a circler or underliner, do a underline or circle, sorrowful and troubled. We're going to go back to that. Verse 38. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And each time you see the word watch in this passage, underline that or circle it. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Circle cup. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. 
Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Circle cup again. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Now, before we move on, will you guys turn with me to Mark 14? I want to point out there's a few similarities, but there's one very intimate and interesting, uh, two, actually, in the first few verses of Mark 14, verse 32, 33, and 34. So notice the things that are similar and notice the things that are different. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Circle deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. People of God, this is the word of God. So I want to stay in the, the Mark passage um, for a few points that I discovered in my uh, reading of this passage. The first is, um, I asked you to circle um, deeply distressed and troubled in this Mark passage. Well, it's not a one-for-one translation, but one of the, um, the teachers that I follow said, the English translation of deeply distressed just doesn't fully encapsulate what that is. What it really is is a sudden, shocking awareness. And then the next one, Joey, troubled. Again, there's not a one-for-one translation, is to the point of sheer terror. Now let me read this passage again with those words in there. So verse 33 of Mark 14. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be suddenly, shockingly aware to the point of sheer death. And he said to them, stay here and keep watch. What is it that you believe? What is it that I believe? Why are we here? What does this have to do with my life in Iowa in 2021? What is it that Jesus did for us? And will you join me in this Lenten season And maybe reduce some of the noise in your life so that we can remember what it is he did for us and why we are here. The other part I asked you to circle uh, was watch. So, Joe, you want to go to the Lael Shimmerim slide? I think that's number 
Is it up there? Don't have it. Okay, so guys, write this out. Lael, L-E-Y-L, Shimmerim, Shim, S-H-I-M-E-R-I-M. That means the night of watching. So the Israelites practiced this every year during Passover. So quick little summary of what happened in Exodus. At the end of the plagues that, that God brought on the Egyptians, the final night was the angel of death. They were supposed to um, kill a, an adult male ram and use the blood and put it on their doorposts. You've probably heard this before. Anyone who did that, the angel of death would pass over their house and not kill their firstborn. And what they did was they stayed up and they watched. It was a lael shimmerim. They stayed up and watched to see if the angel of death would pass over them. So why I think this is interesting in the passage is it was a cultural thing to do this during the Passover, which is where we are in this story. I mean, the, the, the header right before this was, well, the header right before this is Peter, Jesus predicts Peter's denial. The one before that is the Last Supper. This was part of Passover. So it is not unheard of that Jesus could have expected these guys who are in his inner circle to be able to stay up and watch. So you can see some of his frustration. You do this every year. Can't you stay up and watch with me? This is kind of a big night. I need you guys. And I don't think he just wanted them to watch because he was worried about being arrested. I think he wanted them to stay up and watch to see what was going to happen, what God was going to be doing through him. And the other thing I asked you to circle was cup. During the Passover, do we have that Passover slide, Joey? So there are four cups that the Israelites took and drank and remembered of what God did for them. They represent the four expressions of deliverance promised by God in Exodus 6. So they would they would drink and they would say, they remember that he said, I will bring you out. And they would drink and they would remember that he said, I will deliver. They would drink and they would remember that he said, I will redeem. And they would drink the fourth cup and they would remember that he said, I will take you. And it actually the full thing was, I will take you and protect you. Jesus didn't drink that fourth cup on the Last Supper because he had a fifth cup that he was going to drink. That is why he asked if that cup be taken from him because who wants to drink that cup? But that's the cup that we deserve to drink. And Jesus, on that cross some 2,000 years ago, paid that price for us so that we could have way more than a Sunday morning habit. So a little interesting history that I found. Um, they thought about using that fifth cup during their Passover tradition. They argued over it. Um, it. It says in Jeremiah 25, Psalm 69, Psalm 79, pour out your wrath on the nations. You can look up those passages on your own, but the, the rabbis would argue, should we have this fifth cup? They just, they couldn't come to a resolution. So they said, we are going to call it Elijah's cup and we're just gonna set it on the Passover table and someday Elijah will come back and he will solve this 
argument for us. And I, didn't, I, I don't want to dive into all the Jesus is the second coming of Elijah that they, you know, they were confused by that. But I do think it's interesting that it's called Elijah's cup and they thought Jesus was the second coming of Elijah. But Jesus knew that this was the day that he was meant to be here for. This was the culmination of why he had to come. And reminder, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was fully God and fully man. And I think in this moment, we have such an intimate view into his humanness. Now, he didn't sin. He didn't sin, but he did ask that if there was another way that that cup did not have to be drank. There was another way. But then he also said, not my will, but yours be done. And I love, I love the, trans, or the, the, the Mark passage where it says, Abba. It's so intimate. And it reminds us that relationship with Jesus is supposed to be relational. It's not a transactional thing. It's not, God, I need this you know, treating God like a vending machine or a Santa Claus or, you know, these are the things I want. If I don't get them, oh well. But it's a relationship. And I'll tell you what, guys, as a dad, oh, here it comes. thought I could power through, but it's not going to happen. Every, everything, any father, son, parent, child in a movie or a TV show, it just, I, I just, it just hits me differently. It just does. So when I see Jesus say to his dad, Daddy, I don't want to do this. Will you take this from me? If my son said that to me, 10 out of 10, you got it, buddy. And we don't need to go into the, that's not good parenting, you got to teach him to be tough and stuff. I know, I know. But, I mean, it's just, this passage just wrecks me even more of the personal anguish that Jesus must be feeling. And in, in Luke 22, by the way, I would highly suggest you read all four of the different passages of the different gospel accounts of this because it's just fascinating to see how they differ, how they're similar, how they add to each other. I want to read this to you. Because in Luke 22, you probably remember this because it, it was in the Passion of the Christ and other accounts you know that Jesus was sweating. You know, they say he sweat um, drops of blood. In addition to the emotional anguish that Jesus felt as the reality of the brutal suffering he would soon endure set in, it says in Luke 22, his sweat was like drops of blood. The extreme physical condition called hemohydrosis, Dynalit Todd, <laughs> Dr. Todd, you got me, occurs when immense emotional stress causes the capillaries in the hands, arms, and forehead to rupture, causing bloody sweat. The few reported examples of this condition have been found in healthy individuals who knew that, the death, that their deaths were imminent and they could do nothing to prevent them. Hemohydrosis. So, Jesus knew that it was time. And yet, in that relationship with his father, he still asked if it could be passed from him, that cup, but he also knew 
that if it wasn't, that it was the right call. And I am so thankful that he drank that cup for me and for you. But my challenge to you, my challenge to myself, is that this is not just something that someone did 2,000 years ago. It impacts us right now, every day. And it's more than just a Sunday morning habit, y'all. And we, as a culture, the Western church, I think need to not just be that Sunday morning habit crowd. Would your neighbors and coworkers know that you are an active Jesus follower if it weren't for they knew that you went to church on Sunday? Do your actions with your coworkers, with your neighbors, does it, does it show? We just finished the Fruit of the Spirit series, right? Are you, is the relationship with Jesus, are you overflowing and is fruit coming out of you? So, worship team, you guys can start coming back up. I want us to, can you put up that, that question, Joey? Yeah. Here's my challenge to you. Just go ahead and, and, and read these to yourself quick. My gut tells me that one of them is going to pop for you, and only you can understand why. And what I want you to do is spend, and Nick, we can throw up a little bit of background music maybe, I don't know. We don't need to go totally silent here. I just want you to start the engine today, and I'm hoping that it will run throughout the week. Did one of these questions jump out at you, and then I want you to spend about 30 seconds now trying to figure out why. Why did that pop for me? Why was that little Holy Spirit nudge, that little uppercut to your soul, jump out at you? So let's take 30 seconds now while the worship team gets ready and start thinking about that. I again want to encourage you, don't turn Lent, or really any part of your spiritual formation, don't do what I've done and make it a list to check off some legalistic do's and don'ts. God wants to be in relationship with you. He sent his only son to drink that cup and to take your place some 2,000 years ago. Give yourself some grace. You're not gonna get it right every time. You're gonna stumble, you're gonna fall. But don't, that, don't let that be a reason to sit on the sidelines. Keep trying. And with the help of the Holy Spirit and through the work of sanctification each day, we can be more and more like Jesus. Will you stand and worship with me as we finish today?